They turned to Shiva and asked, If we are not these bodies, and are instead these souls, as you say we are, then what are these souls? What are they made of if they are not these bodies? What is their anatomy? Shiva smiled back at their curious faces and took a moment to breathe before he answered. The anatomy of your soul is composed of the Tantra. Your body is a part of you, but only one part of you. You are also made of your drive, your will, and your emotions. You are made of your faith. You are made of your imagination. Your soul is made of all of these, and yet all I can tell you about them can only be heard by the part of you that is your words. And then he fell silent, and they all sat there inside their bodies. They quietly felt their souls stirring. They listened with more than their ears until Shiva broke the silence again. When he resumed the beating of his drum, they danced. I'm Isaac Bluefoot, and this is my Bluefoot. A while back, a man approached me and began to tell me of his recent life dilemma, his struggles with mental illness, and his fragile family relationships. It was a rather surprising disclosure, and he went on to ask me what I thought of the matter and what he should do. Before then, I had only seen him around the community and we exchanged a few words maybe once or twice at my work. But at this moment, I saw that he was sincerely asking for my help. I told him my take on his situation and sincerely believe I gave him some good solid advice. But whenever I give advice pertaining to the definition of reality, I find myself faced with a dilemma of my own. The truth is, the only thing I actually know is that I don't really know anything at all. I feel it's important to include this disclaimer with my advice, as a warning, if you will, of the other fallibility of words when attempting to describe ultimate reality. So having just told this man what I consider to be sound advice, I found myself nearly recanting it as I went on about the nature of language. Words can be quite useful when articulating the description of minutiae like height, width, and thread count, or when instructing the best practices for making something like waffles or kombucha. But when relied on for more esoteric experiences, words have some serious fallbacks, even for kombucha. I think it's important to disclose just how improbable it is that my description of reality is an accurate depiction of actual reality. So while this man wants guidance with his most pressing issues, I begin giving him a lecture on the Tao Te Ching. The short version of the lecture goes like this. The Tao Te Ching was written around 600 BC and is attributed to a character named Lao Tzu, whose name pretty much translates to the wise fool. The whole thing is written in an ancient Chinese script, so I haven't actually read it myself. My favorite English translations are by Stephen Mitchell and Ursula K. Le Guin. Ursula's is especially poetic, and I recommend nearly everything she writes. He hadn't read the Tao Te Ching or even heard of it, which led me down a tangent on the eternal struggle of authors to find an agent and a publisher and how even Lao Tzu struggles to this day getting his obscure book of poems to new readers. That said, I assured him I would not spoil the ending, as it was only the first verse of the book that I wanted to talk about. Of all of the ancient texts that take the bold position of teaching some kind of deeper truth, the Tao Te Ching is one of my favorites, especially because of its very first verse. It discloses that the Tao that can be spoken is not the true Tao. Again, the Tao that we can talk about, with our words, that Tao is not the true, actual, real, eternal Tao. The word Tao translates to the way, 
and we are talking about the capital W-A-Y, way. The way. The way it is. The way it always will be. The way it all goes. Everything. We are talking about so much of everything that no amount of talking can really say it. Oh sure, I could describe a recipe for chocolate chip cookies and explicitly detail the cooking time, but experience teaches us that when you smell the cookies, the cookies are done. By this point in the conversation, I feared that I had lost what confidence this man had in me, or worse yet, had said so much that my original moral was now lost. I decided to round back to reinforce the advice I offered him earlier in the conversation and began rebuking myself and all other language altogether. When I finished, he was quite grateful for the advice and maybe just as grateful that I had stopped when I did and had not taken another proverbial detour. He even thanked me for the cookie metaphor as he left. I was glad he found some help for my stories after all. For a while there, even I had my doubts. You see, though I do my best to give good advice, I know the tragic truth. The true Tao can't be spoken. Words never do it justice. And if I can say anything at all, if I can put any idea in my head into words at all, well then, there is one thing I can be sure of. I can always be sure my words are not the true Tao. I am as much a fool and no less a fool than anyone asking for my advice. And all these words I have to say, well, they may not be the ultimate truth, but I sincerely hope they help. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, share my blue foot with a friend and please leave a review. Find more from Dragonflower Inc. at dragonflower.inc. That's ink with a K. This episode was produced by myself, Isaac Bluefoot. Theme music by Royal Jelly. You can listen to my new show, Son of L, the unauthorized biography of Clark Kent, wherever you enjoy podcasts. Find me on Twitter at iBluefoot. And until next time, remember, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will smash your ego.